Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Today, we have an amazing woman we're going to learn a lot from. Her name is Melinda Whitstock. She is a serial entrepreneur who has built four businesses in media and tech to seven and eight-figure success. She's formerly an award-winning journalist, executive producer, and TV anchor for the BBC, ABC News, and much more. She created and grew a BBC show to 20 million audience and also innovated one of the first crowdsourcing mobile apps and some really interesting stuff for podcasters. We'll get into all that she does soon. Welcome to the show, Melinda. Nice to meet you. Yeah, Al, it's great to be with you. Thank you for having me on. I've got, you know, you've been helping entrepreneurs and this has really been your mission, but tell us like, how did you get started? We know some of your background and you were in tech and media. Tell us, how did, how did you move from there to what you're doing now? I don't know. I think I've always been entrepreneurial. Like there's a story about me. I was almost six years old and I went door to door with my black lab demanding prepayment for my show. <laughs> and with a fistful of about a hundred bucks, I came home and I asked my dad, you know, where could we find a hundred chairs? So entrepreneurship has always been in my blood and, um, but I've always been a media person as well. And so all my businesses, there are five so far as an adult, um, have all been around traditional media, digital media, social media, ad tech, and uh, lots of different back-end algorithms as well to sift and sort crowdsource content for relevance and reliability, and now podcasting. So I kind of found a way to merge the two things that uh, you know I love, first as a, as a recovering journalist <laughs> and an executive producer, and as an entrepreneur. So tell us about the, is it Podopolo? Did I pronounce it right? Podopolo. Podopolo. Okay, great. Tell us about that. This is very interesting. Give, give us a rundown on what this is. Yeah. So as a podcaster, you know, I came at podcasting, launching my own podcast, Wings of Inspired Business, as a passion project. It was really the, the, the podcast I wish I'd had as an entrepreneur in media and tech, often being the only woman in the room and uh, really lacking a lot of female mentors along the way. And I wanted to change the game and really affirm and acclaim the entrepreneurial journeys of women in particular and, and be able to connect them to the confidence, capital, connections they need, we all need, to really succeed in business. So I started this podcast and I came at it with a lot of expertise in internet marketing and also business, of course, but I found, and as I grew my audience, that I could do that, but I found there were a lot of structural problems in the podcasting industry, specifically that were preventing 85% of podcasters from making any money from their content. And I think that's crazy. And one of the things that I noticed with a long background in broadcasting as well as digital media, podcasting is actually a digital media, but it was being approached from an advertising and sponsorship point of view as if it were a broadcast medium. And one of the reasons why there's this big disconnect, podcast advertising as a whole will probably reach a billion dollars this year, but that compares to $375 billion spent on digital media. Meantime, podcasting is the fastest growing media. Uh, you know, 123 million Americans listen more than six hours a week. It's this huge thing. So there's this big disconnect in what was going on there. And um, also being a data person, I understood that 
we're all blind as podcasters and the advertisers too, because all we have is download data that doesn't tell us anything. It doesn't tell us who's listening, anything about their interests or their habits or their influence or where they are, what they care about, let alone how long they're listening or viewing, anything. And it makes it a guessing game to try and figure out how to connect the right audiences to the right advertisers. And as a result, most podcasters miss out on advertising like unnecessarily. And so we found a way to really monetize very small niche audiences, which what most podcasters have, because we have the data to really understand who's actually pre-qualified for an advertiser's offer and be able to match podcasters to um, the right and relevant advertising opportunities for them, um, both topically relevant, mission aligned, and all of that besides. Now, one thing to add to this, the way that we're doing it is with a mobile app that is essentially a whole series of mini social networks where people engage um, and are able to engage with podcasters directly and on a very interactive basis and win rewards and recognition uh, through our gamification platform as they do. So we solve the what I consider the four main problems in podcasting, lack of discoverability, it's really hard to be discovered, difficulty in engaging an audience you know, in one place, difficulty in knowing who they are, and difficulty in monetizing them. So that's what Podopolo is. It's basically a mobile app if you were to, com- if you were to combine kind of Spotify or any of the podcast players out there with Instagram or uh, Facebook and add some gamification in, that's Podopolo. That's amazing what you're doing. And you're finding, again, where the weaknesses are and, and strengthening them. That's really important for all of us out there because, again, like this is a really new media game in general. Um, mm-hmm. Let me ask you, and, you know, you're obviously a very confident woman and you have been an entrepreneur in a lot of, you know, big boy kind of network environments. <laughs> so tell us, I would love to hear some moments, if you can recall any, where like you really had to stand up for yourself, not necessarily to a man, but maybe because of your situation, you felt like some BS coming your way on that and you had to stand up. Cause you know, this is something that does happen to women who are in male dominated industries. We can get barreled over. And if you're not confident enough and don't stand your ground, you know, you could be left by the wayside. I'd love to hear of any kind of stories that, you know, you can recall of your, of your time in business at any time where, you know, you had to step up and go, "Mm -mm, I'm being treated differently and it's not right. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So many. (laughs) Unfortunately. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Unfortunately. Um, and in different ways too, I think as, uh, you know, when I was 22, I joined the times of London as a financial correspondent, um, and then latterly their media correspondent. And it was actually, uh, I was underestimated all the time, which was actually to my advantage as a journalist, because people would just talk thinking that you didn't know what they were talking about. Um, and I did. It was actually, weirdly, uh, it irritated me, but it was very much to my advantage. Um, and then latterly, as the, the most difficult thing, I think, is managing a tech team, because almost invariably, it, there's that whole bro culture in tech and that, oh my goodness, it's, it's difficult uh, to manage a tech team. And ironically, I, I, it, it was easy to fall into uh, being the man, <laughs> even as a woman, or just not being taken seriously or, or whatever. And one of the things that I learned that it was very, very important to do, um, 
And, and this is something that's well known in the tech world. It's known as malicious obedience. So when you explain to a guy how to code something rather than the end result that you want, they'll take you seriously and they will build exactly what you said. <laughs> and the how is not the way to come at it. Um, and this isn't really to do with being a woman or a man, but it was something that I saw a lot of women falling into this trap, including myself, of coming at it like telling someone how to do something. And that doesn't really work very well. And learning that lesson now, just it, it's, it's really improved my leadership and management um, and, and my ability to attract kind of A player team members by really focusing a lot more on the end result and allowing them to come up with the best solution. So it wasn't necessarily man, woman, although I did feel often, you know, patronized, kind of talked down. I just kind of recover from that. The other thing was it was very tempting at many times, especially when I was younger, to feel like I had to be a dude. And when women come at it being like manly, and it, it was understandable because there were no, there weren't very many female role models. And the female role models that there were were being dudes and it wasn't working because it's inauthentic. So I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what is it like that feminine power is not an oxymoron. You can be really strong, but really leverage the innate feminine. So the empathy and the intuition and, and come at things more gently, like even speaking in a softer tone of voice often can carry more weight. It's a bit counterintuitive, but I think that the, the temptation for me and many other strong women, because I am a really strong woman, was to come at it thinking that I had to be like a guy, and it didn't work. Yeah, that's interesting, too, and that would uh, parlay into, like, diplomacy, right? Mm -hmm. uh, what I've noticed, so the, what you said just sparked something. So um, I initially got my start as a comedy writer doing it for ah. years, and what we noticed is certain things don't work with audiences. For example... Ever talking about a woman's menstrual cycle never gets a joke, right? It's it's just it's one of those things you just you just know not to do. But the other thing is that you could have a guy in a sketch completely like screaming at the top of his lungs, like, what the hell is going on here? And people will laugh. But if you have a woman screaming, forget it. Because we have this culture thing of the nag, the woman comes. So it makes sense that even a softer tone directed to a guy in a tech team or something, again, that might elicit this, you know, social consciousness kind of like response that people have, because that's what we noticed over the years. So unfortunately, we kind of stayed away sometimes of that happening unless we had to, because it just never played well, because there is something embedded in us, right? That goes, ah, the, the naggy, the naggy yelling woman, unfortunately. So yeah, I find that interesting, that. your comment. I just wanted to bring it up. I saw that parallel there real quick. Yeah, they hear that. I mean, I think the other really good example though too is, is raising money. So I've raised, you know, angel investment and venture capital over the years. Very, very difficult. Women, even with highly scalable companies that qualify, that have the potential to be billion dollar unicorns. So in other words, qualify for venture money. Um, only 2% of female uh, run and owned businesses get a share of the venture capital pie. And I, uh, I, I struggle with that. I, and, and there were many times where I felt like it didn't really matter what I was saying. They just weren't listening. And the funniest example of this is there was this pitch competition. There were 10 entrepreneurs. And at the end of the pitch, I was the only woman. And at the end of it, 
all the investors had this kind of debrief panel and they all said, gosh, I wish one of the entrepreneurs there would have talked about their customers and the solutions that they're providing for their customers. And I'm like, were you even in the room? Because <laughs> I rattled off like 10 examples where my company at the time, Verifeed, was solving problems. Like, here's what we did for the Red Cross. You know, here's what we did for this fintech company. Here's what we did for, right? And numbers and results. And they just didn't hear it. I'm like, wow, <laughs> what's that about? You know, so um, it's interesting. I think it's a challenge because um, when we're, really smart and and we need to get results fast it's very tempting to just be very direct and we can come across um even when we're being direct which is completely reasonable even in a reasonable tone of voice even really calmly if you're direct you're somehow pushy or you know the b word <laughs> or, or you're, or you're angry where you're like i'm not angry i'm just being absolutely no bs with you and they're interpreting right. it from a woman as such where they wouldn't from a man yeah yeah, but I think it's changing though generationally. I find young men very different uh, from older men. So, um, you know, particularly young men who've had strong mothers. So, as mothers, you know, it's yes. very important to raise our boys. We have them, uh, you know, to really um, respect that. And I think it is changing generationally. Let's talk about some of the. So, you know, entrepreneur. Or I found, you know, I wrote a book on confidence, but one of the things is that like, you know, confident people don't take failures as failures. It's about, you know, learning and growing and an obstacle. Yeah. It's an obstacle or challenges feedback. It's, it's good, healthy criticism. So I would love to hear, you know, because a lot of really successful entrepreneurs, I'm sure yourself, unless not, it's possible. I wouldn't be surprised if you never had a fail, but tell us about, tell us about some of the fails. Tell us about some of the projects that were fails, but that were so monumental to moving forward, because I'm sure you've had, had some of those. Oh, gosh. Okay. So the biggest one, really, it was a success and a failure at the same time. It was a company called Newsit, and it was the first ever crowdsourcing app for user-generated content um, on a mobile phone. Um, We grew it to 500,000 users on like next to no capital. Um, So it was incredible. And what we were doing at the back end, we had all these algorithms that I had actually innovated that allowed us to filter the content for relevance and reliability. We were actually solving the fake news problem before there was even a fake news problem. Like I saw the opportunity for that, but I saw it way too early. This is like 2010, 2011. We were doing unsupervised machine learning and natural natural language processing algorithms and a whole series of things on the back end. But we were also innovating in mobile UI and we were innovating in cloud technology. And I remember going out to raise money for it. And uh, here's an example of how an investor meeting went. It's like, Melinda, what makes you think that people are going to do user-generated content? I'd be like, well, there's this new thing, you know, Facebook and Twitter, and, you know, they're getting a lot of people, like, doing user-generated content. People really want to contribute. And they'd say, okay, well, even if you do that, what makes you think mobile is going to be big? (laughs) And I'm like, well, there's all this data (laughs) that says that mobile is going to be big. And then they would say, well, that's great. So even if those two things are correct, you're going to have all this content, like, how are you going to store it? And I'd be like, well, there's this new thing called the cloud. You know? <laughs> and then it's so like, in other words, and what I didn't understand at the time is every single one of those presented a risk. And when you're raising money, the more things that are risky or in, interdependent, 
the more the investor is like, I don't know, like even if you're right, I mean, it's just too many points of risk. So, so um, you can be bleeding edge and that's really a hard place to be because you have to educate an entire market. So the art of entrepreneurship, and it's not something that we can control all the time, is, is the things external to ourselves, things like timing, things like other events, coronavirus. You know, there's so many things that we can't control and they can lead to a failure in the sense that we never really got the funding um, that we needed. I remember one investor saying, hey, Melinda, this is really great. Somebody's going to do it. And I'm like, I am doing it. <laughs> I innovated all these algorithms and this app. I have like 500,000 users. And what he said to me was, well, you see, we invest using pattern recognition technology and you don't fit our pattern. I'm like, hmm, that's so interesting. We're using pattern recognition technology. And I was walking down the street in New York thinking, hmm, what's different about me? Let's see, I don't have a garage. I didn't invent anything in a garage, therefore. I didn't drop out of Stanford, Harvard, or MIT. I don't eat ramen noodles or too many carbs, you know. Um, oh, yeah, right. I'm, I'm like a woman. And so there were a lot of things like that. And what I learned along the way is that there are some things that you can control, some things that you cannot control. But either way, you can't take it personally. Because if you're the type of entrepreneur that's inventing something out of whole cloth, um, creating a new market or creating an entirely new product or anything. It's all about the iteration. And it takes a while to test and co-create with your customers to get the right product market fit. I mean, there's so many things that you have to get right. And I've just come to, to learn, first of all, that it's not personal. It's part of the process. And it's vital to enjoy that process. It's just like Thomas Edison inventing electricity. He said, I haven't failed. I've just tried, you know, 10,000 times to figure it out. So it's learning to really take and leverage failure as a good thing. It, it is actually an opportunity to be welcome because it's showing you a way to course correct, but you have to pay attention and learn the lesson from that. So like when the lesson is learned, the experience is no longer necessary. Um, and so like I've come to just, you know, it, failure happens all the time in like small little paper cut ways and in epic ways, like businesses that just don't fly, other ones that are easy and work well, sometimes a bad hire, sometimes, right? It's like, what was I thinking? How did I not see this in this person? <laughs> right? I had a woman um, who was an accountant in one of my previous businesses steal $40,000 from the company. And I'm like, wait a minute, I was on top of this. How could this have happened? And you go through all that self-blame and whatnot. But guess what? I became really good at really understanding you know, really accounting systems as a result, right? So, <laughs> so. You know, that, that happened to me too. So I used to, uh, when I was very young, I managed like a hundred men throughout the state of California working at like Fortune 500 companies. It was such an adult, you know, job for me at such a young age, a worse suit. Yeah. And I'd interview men all the time because that was mostly all the tech people at that time. And I, I felt like, oh, I, I can't be pretty. I put my hair up in a bun glasses. But, you know, one of the things that was interesting is like a along the way of that journey, I felt like, and I'm wondering about this too, it's kind of a transition here, but so you're obviously, you know, you're an alpha female, you're very strong. And then we feel like we have to maybe not now anymore, but maybe we had to put up a certain exterior. A lot of the pitfalls of alpha females are that, you know, we don't want to appear vulnerable or weak and throughout our life, we have to get over that. And I'm wondering, like either in your personal relationships, romantic relationships, did you sense that there was some part of, you know, your entrepreneur out there being a badass among all the dudes was kind of 
impeding maybe that? Did you have any sort of... Yeah, certainly a fear around that. I think there's a really big, often unspoken fear that we think as women, if we really succeed, if we really go for it and we build a unicorn, not only will we not have any female friends, but that we won't be attractive to men or we'll show them up somehow or whatever. And I mean, and, and I have had relationships with men like that who just were threatened, I mean, and couldn't handle it. I mean, I'm fortunate now that I'm with someone that really just wants to see me fly and it's great. And I can just really fully be, be me, but that wasn't always the case. And I think we do have not so much a fear of success, but more like a fear of, I mean, it's not so much a fear of failure rather, but more of a fear of success because, you know, just even at like, the school run or something, you know, if we really dare to step into the light, if we really do something big, will we be kind of cast out, you know, um, of, of the tribe? So I think that's a real fear. And we talk about that particular issue quite a lot on my podcast because women who have built seven, eight, nine figure businesses have had to figure out a way to overcome that. And, and I think one of the issues, one of the things that I had to learn is that the person that I'm being in work isn't necessarily the person that like comes home or like how to turn, you know, I don't know how to be conscious of that. Right. So I'm, I'm not always the problem solver with my man. Like, Hey, you should do it this way or that, you know, that, it, that, that's not, that's good. a fine line. It's that polarization, right? It's about leaving that alpha, you know, over here at the work office. And then when you come home, especially if you're a straight female with a male that allowing them to take over that alpha role. And I've noticed, you know, over time when I've been able to relax into that, it's wonderful. It feels so primal. It's kind of how nature intended it. However, it took many, many years for me to not, you know, to, 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 to relax into that and let someone else, because, you know, in our work lives, we're so the controller, the, the delegator, et cetera. And it's just, it's also really lovely when a man takes that over and you're like, Oh, thank you. Let me go over here and be the girl that I am. Right? And go well, do all this guy crap. Yeah. Well, men really do like to be providers. I mean, they like to help. Yes. They like to be there with the solution. And it reminds me of, of funny story from years ago. I'd forgotten this, but uh, a therapist of mine had made, because I was so strong all the time, you know, so like, like always trying to prove my competence and my smarts and, you know, all this sort of stuff. She made me in the New York subway drop a tissue and see what happened. Like, just like helplessly, like, <laughs> like Marilyn Monroe, just like a helpless. Like, oh, you're kidding me. Come on. Really? Like, she said, no, I, I, you, you <laughs> need to do that. And I swear to God, five guys are <laughs> like, how can I help? And it was always very, very difficult for me to show my vulnerability or admit that I didn't know, you know, I, that, that was a big life. What got you to relax into that and be okay with that? Cause I know, you know, and again, like you, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're a seasoned woman. You've been through that. So you're like probably over that now, but there's a lot of young women out there who are going through it. I wish I could have gone back and know what it could have should have, but had I known what I know now, I would have embraced that vulnerability way more because I argue in my book that being vulnerable, not necessarily have to wear your heart on the sleeve, but being vulnerable is the ultimate in being confident as fuck, because it's truly not caring about what other people think of you. And it is also human. It's natural. You're just be hiding something that we all are experiencing. So, so how did you, kind of, was there a situation or a scenario where you said, okay, I can't do this anymore, or I've got to change, or, you know, how did you ease into that? I don't think it was instant. 
But I think there is a real strength in vulnerability. I think through years of sort of personal growth, you know, rising levels of consciousness, all the work that I've done on myself or my inner self, it's been really a journey. I'm kind of like peeling the onion and, and whatnot. And I, I, I think we take a lot of subconscious beliefs with us from our childhood. And somewhere along the line in my childhood, I got the download that I would only be liked if I was really successful. I had to be strong all the time. I had to be independent. Nobody was going to be there for me. I had to do it all myself, all that kind of stuff. And a lot of these things are subconscious beliefs that we carry with us. So as I began to kind of shed a lot of that um, and also really step into and understand my own value. The more you have a internally, like within yourself, you know your value, that it's enough just to be. And just by being, you're creating value. Just by being who you are, being aligned and living into your true purpose, that's enough. And I remember my daughter, she was 10. And on this massive post-it note one day, she wrote to me, you know, those big post-it notes you can put up on a wall. She wrote, mom, you are enough. And I swear to God, I just, oh my God, I just got goosebumps. I wanted, (laughs) I just like broke into tears, but like, she was saying something in her old soul that she knew that I, I, I wasn't really fully, truly valuing myself. And I think the minute that it's, it's such an internal thing, the minute you arrive at that and you're at peace with it and at peace with who you are, you accept yourself, you know, what, you know, that inner bully voice is no longer tormenting you. You're letting clearing all that stuff out. Then, then you're really, you know, there's, you're really understand your own value. At that point, it's easier to be vulnerable and it's easier to have a humility about it. Everything starts to become kind of funny. Like, so when things go wrong or whatever, um, because when you're living in the present moment here in the here and now, not in the past, not in the future, you've turned off that bully voice or whatever, it's enough just to be. Um, it doesn't really matter what other people think of me or, or whether I did this perfectly or not or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, I did a whole episode recently on my other podcast, kick-ass life podcast. Uh, and we talked about just stop justifying and explaining, you know, that, that, like you said, your existence is enough. We don't go up to like a beetle on the ground and go, why are you here? Tell me why you should be alive and existing. Right. Like we, but yet we feel the need to justify, especially when we're attached to like a career, like, you know, let's say I'm an artist and you're like, Oh, what's going on? I feel like I need to justify all that I'm doing for my career and all this stuff versus just not caring about it. And, or when uh, we never over-explain or justify when we say yes to something. But, but, but people getting out of like, hey, you know, what do you, you know, can you, can you hang out this weekend? And then you go into a long thing that's just like, you know, oh my God. And we just, we have to get out of that. It's that like, I'm sorry for everything thing. And it's justifying. And I, and I believe it's just a dig at our confidence. So I think that's, that's, such, that's such truth right there. Um, what you've observed, I'm sure, plenty of entrepreneurs over your life, including women, what are some maybe classic pitfalls or things that have stood out to you, women, men, either one that you feel like, ooh, that's a pitfall, or this is something people might come across that they're going to have to hurdle over because you, you know, you've witnessed everything here in a lot of industries. Yeah. So the one we were just talking about that over explaining and over apologizing and sort Mm -hmm. of justifying oneself at the root cause of that is just a, a not valuing ourselves enough. That's one of the main ones, but there's a whole series of things that are attached to that. And I think 
perfectionism is one of the biggest things that holds women back generally, but especially in entrepreneurship. When we think that we have to toil and toil and toil until everything's perfect, we, we miss opportunities. We miss the opportunity to co-create with our customers. We miss the opportunity to really create the kind of relationships that actually drive business. And it's ironic because we're actually very good at that. But we spend a lot of time doing the thing like, you know, oh, no, I'm going to put my head down and I'm going to kind of get it done. This is true in corporate America as well, where the women are working really hard thinking, oh, if I just get this done or whatever, then that will be the promotion. And in actual fact, it's the relationship every time, hands down, every aspect of business. And we're good at that. So like having the confidence to really step into, um, you know, our innate qualities of empathy and intuition and our collaborative nature and really own that. It's a big strength and it's the way business is going. So yeah, retiring perfectionism. Um, and, and that's- well, let me pipe in on that. Um, so oddly enough, I'm tomorrow releasing an episode on that where we're talking a lot about health perfectionism and other things. Like for example, you know, if you look at health coaches online, you'd think we're all on an organic farm, structuring our water, eating, you know, but you know, every now and then we're having a donut or like, that's just real life. And you know, this, this idea. And so what it does is creates all the shame and secrecy, right? Because you know, you're like sneaking the stuff or you're lying about it. And uh, in general too, you know, what I've, what I've read and studied about perfectionism is it actually is so counterintuitive to reaching the lofty goals of the perfectionist. They are actually backfiring on themselves because a lot of times it's a lot of procrastination because I have to wait for the right time or until it's perfect. That's just not how the rest of the world works, right? And so, or at least not men and in general. So I can see that being such a tripper upper for a lot of women in business. We put a lot of things in front of the things we're supposed to be doing. Like I know a lot of women who spend a lot of time planning for the sale but not asking for it. Yes. Right. And, and that, that kind of, I, so, so the two P's, the procrastination and the perfectionism, I and mean, it's just fear and a nice pink bow. It, it's yep. the way our fear manifests often. And, and I, I had a great mentor who uh, in an enterprise technology sales situation, a very, very complicated sort of consulting type sale actually gave me a mandate to get as many no's as possible like that success would be getting no's. And I was like, what do you mean? I mean, I'm trying to close a sale. He said, no, no, I want you to go and get as many no's as possible because if you're getting a no, it means you're asking. And, and I was rewarded for getting a no. Um, and uh, I, like, I like that a lot. And, and this was good because then after a while, like the no's didn't, sting. I, you know, it, it wasn't, I wasn't afraid to ask. It wasn't really about me. Um, and after a while they just turned into yeses. Uh, yeah, that's absolutely, that's so interesting. And so true. What, um, what are some other things that you've seen that you want to point out to women entrepreneurs, which is, I know your specialty or in general, we're like, Hey ladies, you got to pay attention to these things because you've seen them keep coming up. And as other than the perfectionism and, you know, the procrastination, are there any others that come to mind? I think the most critical thing to women's success is women helping other women. Thank you for saying that. I'm so happy. You said that. It, it, it is. I yeah. mean, it's how we're wired. If you go way back in the stone age, you know, we were helping each other deliver each other's babies yeah, dudes had one job. They had to wait and quiet their minds and think about one thing because they had to be accurate in spearing, like, I don't know, the buffalo or the wildebeest or whatever. And that was it. Like, that was it. 
That's all they had to do. <laughs> okay. And women did everything else and did everything else in collaboration. And it's how our brains are actually wired. So when we're in um, abundance, when we believe because we truly are in abundance, when we truly believe there's enough resources and accomplishments and rewards to go around, we can get out of that scarcity mentality that stops us from helping other women. For years, my biggest frustration was that women were always competing with each other for the scraps rather than playing big. And when we play big, when we open doors for other women, when we buy from other women, when we invest in other women, when we promote other women, open doors, mentor, educate, teach, help, just be there. We're transformed as, as well as them. And I think that's something that finally is beginning to change. But being open to that and also the, the, the other part of this too is women, and I think it's tied to scarcity thinking as well. Thinking of like often hire too late or don't ask for help um, or don't invest in themselves like with coaches and masterminds and all of that um, because they're looking at it as an expense rather than as an investment. investment. And guys see the leverage of that in a way that we often don't where and, and it's a scarcity thing. It's like, oh, there's not enough for me. So, oh, I better watch my pennies. Whereas the studies show that if you don't hire people within six months of the start of your company, um, and ideally hire people, tie them to metrics like revenue and that kind of thing, so they are actually an investment, but companies that don't do that um, tend to fail. I mean, it, it's, it's really vitally important that, that as women, we really understand the power of leverage, the value of our own time. You know, I could spend... Um, an hour doing my laundry, right? Um, and you know, pre-COVID, I guess I'm just doing my laundry now because of COVID, right? But before that, I could spend an hour doing my laundry, or I could spend that hour landing a massive strategic client. So my hourly rate landing a strategic client is at a hundred bucks an hour, five hundred, uh, ten thousand dollars an hour, because the value to the business that I'm creating, my hourly rate is immense. But if I'm doing the laundry, um, at $10,000 an hour, <laughs> I am robbing my company. And, and it's a great so, way to look at it because that's one of those personal events that we're like, oh, okay, well, that's that's a gratuitous you know, cost or I, I can do it. So why? I hire it something? all. Yeah. Right. And, and that's the other thing, too. It's the, I, I like this idea that we have to do it all to have it all. Yeah. Uh, I think we can, we can have it all by doubling down on the things that we do really, really well and delegating the rest or hiring the rest. And uh, I think it was Louise Hay and her Heal of Life book, you know, about Louise Hay. And yeah, she, yeah, yeah. she noticed themes between certain ailments. And one of the ones, I think it was for breast cancer, I could be wrong, but uh, which was this, the, 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 what she saw was that these women were like carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders, right? They did everything they weren't trying. And it was just this overwhelming sense. And that's what she connected. So yeah, it's not healthy for us in general to do that. And again, again, I think we're, we can be kind of bad delegators, especially alpha females too. But I think in general, we're bad delegators or we won't want to ask for help because you're like, I, I got it. I can do it either. I can do it better and quicker. So let me just do it. Cause I'm not going to trust you. Or it could just be like, well, it's just laundry. I don't want to pay. Like I could just do it. And I think that's so important for you, for, you know, the point about an investment in yourself. <clears throat> I had it recently because I'm a coach um, and I have other coach friends. 
we all get a coach too, though. And people don't realize that, that, um, excuse me. We all need coaches. We all need coaches. And so recently I wanted to hire, actually, I was having fun with something I wanted to manifest. And even though I'm a, you know, practicer and a great manifester of the law of attraction, I was like, you know what, I'm going to hire like kind of a, a, a colleague I know who's a law of attraction coach. And then like, you know, I'm paying the invoice. And I had a moment of saying, is this really, is this like really what I should, you know, I could do this myself. Like, do I really need, you know, a little bit like, is this kind of like just stupid that I'm saying? And then I recognized that thought being destructive. And my next thought immediately was, no, you know what? I'm investing myself. F that. I'm going to get this back twofold. Mm -hmm. And I did 24 hours later (laughs) out of nowhere. Again, I have that belief, but I did have to make that switch in my head. Like, hold on, what am I doing here? This is an investment in me. And I love looking at that as if it's an investment. And I also just want to say this pro woman thing is so important. I put it in my book, Women Need to Get Pro Women. We have to end this like Beverly Housewife, you know, reality oh. shows of people fighting with each other and there's catty junk. One of the things I'm so grateful for my mother is that my mother was always in business and very successful. She never was, ca- she always helped other women succeed without, and, and, and I saw that she never had any drama with her girlfriends. There was none of that stuff. And I have become that. I'm known as like, of all my colleagues, like a super connector. I love connecting people with other people and people are often astounded by it. And I'm like, well, I just, but there's no lack of abundance. So if you come to me and you're like, Hey, Elle, I want to start a podcast or I want to be a writer or whatever it is that I'm doing. If I'm immediately threatened, which I'm never, but if you are out there, that's check yourself because you might need to go forward and help that person because otherwise you're really hurting yourself. And it is a lack, it's a lack mentality. It's a lack that, well, well, what if they'll get more popular than me? Or what if, who cares? It's, I know, it's exactly. still the right thing to do. And Everybody, so I am so about that. I'm so glad you really mentioned that that's the most important thing. I mean, I Everyone's think- you, Yeah, and thank you. I think one of the reasons that- I don't know, we can get stuck in that. It's it's a lack of understanding that we're all here with a unique purpose and a unique individual purpose. And that purpose will be carried out like with or without your co- cooperation in the end. I mean, you're, <laughs> and, and we're all so different. So um, even if two people have the same kind of product or whatever, or coaching the same thing or, or whatever it is, or have a podcast on the same topic, it's never going to be the same and it's, never going to, and it's not going to resonate with the same people. And I mean, it's right. I mean, we, we do have, you know, competition um, and that kind of thing, but, but that's different. That's really about just being the best that you can be. I mean, not perfectionism. I think mastery is, is a little bit different than, than, than perfectionism. Um, but yeah, it, it really is coming to terms with the fact that there is plenty of abundance and to really focus on and know what makes you unique. Do the things that you love to do. Do more of that <laughs> Have you invest in, the, in the rest. Have you, uh, so throughout your time in coaching, working with people, witnessing women in entrepreneurship positions, what are some good, interesting breakthrough stories? Like where someone had a certain mindset that just needed to be unlocked for them to, you know, leap to that next level. I'm sure you've, yeah. you've seen a million of them. Everything's about mindset. I work with a lot of people to launch their podcast, you know, um, and I, I find that most people come at, say, the podcasting industry thinking, oh my goodness, what microphone do I need? Or what's the tech? Or like, what's, you know, and it's like, oh God, that's the least of it. It really has to get very, very focused, narrowly focused on your why and the actual people that you're talking to. And most of the time, most of the time when either a tech entrepreneur 
or a podcaster, and there's a kind of remarkably similar in a funny way, says, oh, I'm just going to put it out there and people will come. Uh, uh, so, so there's a big mindset shift there to get them confident enough to really go for a narrow avatar, like a really, like, what's that bullseye? Because they kind of, their natural instinct is to want to kind of please everybody. And it just doesn't work. You can get around to all those, say, other verticals or add other things in, in the future. But if you're a wandering generality and you're, if you're speaking to everybody, you're not really speaking to anybody. Mm. And so that's one of the biggest single things that, that, that I, I and, and it's not only women. I mean, men make this mistake as well. But I find that the biggest heavy lift with all my podcast clients is getting them very narrowly focused on who they are talking to and the alignment between what is unique about them and how they're solving a problem (laughs) for a very specific group of people. And like honing that down. And that's, uh, that's something that a lot of marketers struggle with with their clients as well. But at the end of the day, every single business issue is a mindset issue. So there's not one thing with any client or myself for that matter, or any of the people that I've mentored over the years that hasn't ultimately been something that's been driven by something deep in subconscious. And I mean, sometimes I will say if I, because I'm not like a healer or anything like that, I'm very conscious, but I've sent a lot of my clients to like energy healers or I've made them like, okay, go away, learn how to meditate and come back or like- Do some tapping, come back. Yeah, tapping, <laughs> plant medicine, I don't know, whatever it takes. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I also, I'm wondering what you think about this. Um, and again, it could be changing. And I think, you know, a lot of things are changing. It seems like a lot of the difference between men and women in business is the men have no shame about going out and declaring and asking for what they want. It seems mm-hmm. like the women are sometimes waiting for permission and you know what I mean? Or, or more hesitant to just never hurts to ask and to get out there. And the same goes with self-promotion. I think they did a study with like LinkedIn where like they looked at the profiles and the guys are like pumping themselves up and they're like, I'm awesome. And look at all my stuff. And the women are more like this, you know, maybe a misguided sense of humility or something we could say, right? So what are your thoughts on that? I think we should say, I mean, we should be proud of our accomplishments. There's, there's no reason to hide them. I mean, I think that's just, I, I, you know, I, I, again, like it's all this lack of value or fear of how other people will perceive us that if we really stand tall in 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 who we are that somehow other people aren't gonna like us i mean that's really the bottom line fear i mean that's everybody's worst fear probably is you know not being liked or not having any friends or being rejected or or whatever so that's the subconscious fear that's driving it Mm -hmm. and it's just a fear and it's mostly subconscious but i think the more of us that um decide to be the change we want to see in the world and just set that example um, and talk about accomplishments, um, the more other women will feel safe in doing that same thing. And like all societal change, there's always some sort of tipping point at some point, the more people that just start more women that start doing that, the more it's like, Oh, I guess I can do that. But I mean, what's interesting too, there was a study going back in in the VC, I, I, I'm trying to remember whether it was MIT or Harvard did this study where they sat in on something like two years of VC meetings, watching both men and women 
Just to clarify, you mean venture capital, right? Venture capital, yeah. So watching men and women pitch these investors. And the pitches were, you know, by and large equivalent. But then what happened was the questions that the men were asked were different than the questions that the women were asked. The men, like 95 or something percent of the time, were asked about how they were going to maximize growth. So in other words, positive questions, whereas the women were asked about how they were going to minimize risk and sort of like defensive questions. Interesting. And the women immediately were on the defensive and didn't know how to turn the question, you know, and I've learned to the offense. That's very, that's a very interesting. And I've had to learn how to turn the question around or just be aware of that in a way that, you know, men don't have that issue by and large. So we do have different things that we've got to deal with. But the other thing that was happening was that women were asking for money, like with a question mark on the end of it, like, okay, I'm raising a million dollars. No, no. Like not inspiring confidence in the person who's going to give it to you. And then the man, say you have um, a mobile app, like say right now, Podopolo is in, in stealth beta. And I like how Reed Hoffman says, if you love your product and you think it's perfect, you've launched too late. Like, <laughs> miss the market, right? Because you got to get out there. So anyway, so there's a, there's, stuff, there's a whole bunch of stuff I want to tweak with it. And we're launching like the version two coming up soon and all this sort of stuff, right? But um, man will not generally say that. They'll say, it's great. It's amazing. Go download. It's perfect. And the women, just like me just now saying, oh yeah, well, there's a couple things that I want to tweak about it, or it could be better over here. Waiting for it to maybe be just right. Yep. Right. And I just heard myself do that. So in, in, in explaining like the point, but women almost all the time do that. They will say all the reasons out loud why it's not perfect. Um, same thing with, um, applying for jobs. So, uh, you go on Glassdoor or something that says you have to have these 10 things. Uh, studies show that men will apply if they have three of the 10 women will not apply unless they have at least eight or nine of the 10. Interesting. So we cancel ourselves out for a lot of things. Yeah. That's, those are really important points. Uh, tell us how can we, your podcast, et cetera, how can we work with you, learn from you, get more of you, seek help from you other than Podopolo, the app and what you have going on with that. Tell us a little bit about yeah. well, the podcast and everything else. Yeah. Well, definitely download Podopolo. It's free in both the Google and the app stores, Podopolo. And if you're a podcaster, uh, yeah, go to podopolo.com um, and you can check out all the different kind of ways you can play with us. It's great if you want to monetize your podcast, um, which is awesome. My podcast is Wings of Inspired Business. So it's everywhere where you can get podcasts. Um, and that's available on my website as well, melindawitstock.com um, and Apple and Spotify and iHeart and Podopolo, of course, as well. It's there. Um, and uh, best way, I'm sort of ubiquitous on social media too, just Melinda Whitstock on Facebook. Uh, a public figure page is I am Melinda Whitstock. Instagram, Melinda Whitstock 2020. Um, Twitter, Melinda Wings, Melinda Whitstock on LinkedIn. Um, and uh, on either of my websites, I have a whole bunch of free stuff that you can just go and download and lots of ways to, to connect me. If you want to launch a podcast or come to my retreats for high powered female entrepreneurs, they're virtual until next year. Um, but uh, we're always accepting great women into our mastermind as well. 
That's awesome. I, it's always such a pleasure to meet a, a woman like yourself and, um, you know, to see what you're doing out there in the world is just mm-hmm. like setting such an amazing example for, for all of us. Uh, uh, so thank you so much for all the work that you do. And is there anything you'd like to leave our audience with in terms of, you know, the topics we're been covering today? Uh, well, just, just, you know, believe in yourself, uh, you know, be in the now, be the change that you want to see in the world and really focus on personal growth. Business growth comes from personal growth. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We will put everything in the show notes to connect with Melinda. So stay tuned for that and uh, hope to see you back on our show sometime. You have a lot of great things to offer. So thank you so much. Fantastic, Al. Thank you for having me. Make sure every salad is dressed for success with Primal Kitchen dressings and marinades. Versatile, flavorful, and unique, use Primal Kitchen dressings to marinate meats dunk veggies, and add complexity to your favorite salads. With keto-certified, certified paleo, and Whole30-approved options, finding your salad soulmate is a snap. Choose from updated classics like ranch, Caesar, Italian, balsamic, honey mustard, or Greek. Or get adventurous with aromatic sesame ginger, zesty cilantro lime, creamy vegan ranch, or tangy lemon turmeric. Avocado oil-based, these dressings, vinaigrettes, and marinades are an easy, primal-approved way to upgrade any dish. So use the code PRIMALBLUEPRINT to take 20% off your purchase at checkout.